good evening and welcome to tonight's Meet the Artist interview, sponsored by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. It is Friday, March 14th, 2014, and we are in the War Memorial Opera House before a performance of Program 4 in San Francisco Ballet's 81st repertory season, a performance of Christopher Wielden's Cinderella. This interview will also be posted as a podcast on our website, sfballet.org, where you can also find videos, bios, interviews, in case you want to learn more. My name is Caroline Giese. I'm the Artistic Administrator at San Francisco Ballet, and tonight it is my pleasure to interview my colleague, Production Director Christopher Dennis. Good evening. Right. So before joining San Francisco Ballet in 2010, Chris served as the resident lighting designer and lighting coordinator at the National Ballet of Canada for 14 seasons. He has also served as lighting director for Baryshnikov's White Oak Dance Project and was the assistant resident lighting designer for the Metropolitan Opera's 2009-2010 season. Chris's lighting designs are in the repertoire of companies around the world, including American Ballet Theatre, Boston Ballet, and West Australian Ballet, just to name a few. You have also seen his designs here on the Opera House stage in Yuri Posikov's Rite of Spring, Francesca de Rimini, and Raku, as well as Helgi Thomason's Trio. So your position as the production director is probably not well known to our audiences. Can you describe a little bit about what you do? Um, <clears throat> as a production director for the San Francisco Ballet, uh, I usually tell people it's somewhat similar to being a project manager. As the production director, uh, I oversee and, res and I'm responsible for everything that happens on stage, with the exception of the choreography. So I manage the departments that look after the sets, the costumes, the lighting, the props, the wigs, the makeup. Pretty much every aspect of what we do technically uh, I manage and I'm responsible for in terms of uh, working with uh, our different crew and working with the different designers and choreographers uh, that we bring in to put together the wonderful ballets that you see all the time. So with that I manage the budgets, uh, make sure things uh, are built on time, I consult with the, our scenic artists who paint and our scenic carpenters who build the shows. Uh, I look after all the logistics uh, with a wonderful team of uh, people that help also put this together on stage. So when everything's going well, I don't hear anything. But when things aren't going well, then, that, then I hear my name being called. So. <laughs> all right, so outside of the choreography and the orchestra, everything else really falls below you. So, how many people are we talking backstage? <laughs> well, the, the amount of people backstage just varies on, this, on the production. So in a production like Cinderella, we have about 18 uh, carpenters who help move scenery and all the things that are flying in the air. We have about 14 electricians who run follow spots, run the lighting boards, help with the dry ice. Um, then there's another about eight or nine hair and makeup people downstairs, uh, getting all the dancers prepared for the different scenes. And then there's probably about a dozen, I believe, wardrobe individuals who are helping them get dressed. Uh, we have a couple of sound um, 
uh, technicians who work with us to you know, make sure everything is sounding right. So I didn't add that up, but I'm sure somebody did. Uh, 55, see, I knew there was somebody counting. So in this production of Cinderella, we have about 55. We also have our two stage managers, so that's 57. Um, and then between myself and our technical coordinator, um, we act as the, uh, uh, what we like to call the adults on staff and <laughs> who come in just to, uh, just to keep an eye, just to make sure everything is running uh, smoothly in case anything goes wrong. Um, if Helgi or any of the artistic staff uh, see something different or something weird or strange, uh, there's somebody that they can come to and say, hey, that looked a little strange today. And ultimately we'll, we'll find an answer as to why. Or maybe we don't have an answer, just, you know, sometimes things happen, so. <laughs> so your background is a little different because you come from a design background. Yes. So how does, how does your lighting design background inform your job as a production director? So, uh, yeah, as Caroline said, I was trained as a lighting designer, so uh, for a good part of my career, I spent time designing lighting uh, primarily for dance. And as a designer, uh, it's the one discipline who works with all the other disciplines and they have to manage their time in a very short amount of time because it's the, it's the last member of the creative team who actually creates the look on stage and they can't do it until they're in the theater whereas the costumes were designed and being built months in advance the sets were being built months in advance so the lighting designer is the last person to come in and literally gets maybe five hours to create the look and then spends rehearsals basically uh fine-tuning the look so it's very very uh, time sensitive. And so as a lighting designer, you have to understand how to manage your time and how to work with all the different artists and disciplines in a very organized fashion. So based on doing that for so many years, I've, I've developed a skill set, let's say, that helps me manage time and people. Uh, sometimes people say, what do you do? I said, well, I manage egos. Because, you know, and, and I don't want that to sound a negative way, but when you're dealing with artists and choreographers and technicians and designers, you know, everybody needs a little bit of something. And the lighting designer, uh, you know, is responsible for how, the, how that technical rehearsal can go at times. And so you end up really having to know what you want to do and you can't waste time. And so I think... Having done that for so many years, it's, it's kind of groomed me in a way to sort of take on another level of responsibility. So uh, when I work with designers, you know, I understand where they're coming from. I'm always accused by many people that I tend to favor the lighting people that come into the building. <laughs> and that's not true, folks, back there. <laughs> Uh, I, I try to look at all aspects of the production and see who really needs what time to get things done. Because ultimately, we all have the same opening night. No one has, no one's opening night is before the other. So we all have to make it happen. So I always say, well, we all have the same opening night. So we'll get it done. All right. So going back to that lighting process, you are the lighting designer on Helgi's new ballet, which opens at the beginning of April. So can you kind of talk about the process of creating the lighting design and working with the other designers and the choreographer and putting a brand new work all together? 
Sure. Um, well, of course, you know, the whole thing starts with the choreographer himself, and that would be Helgi. And so uh, ultimately, once he starts creating his work, you know, I, I go into the studio, uh, watch rehearsals, have conversations with him as opposed to uh, sort of conceptually what he's thinking this ballet's about uh, and how he sees it in his mind. We contract designers like a set designer, so Alex Nichols, uh, who designed uh, Helgi's trio um, is also on board. So we pretty much have the same creative team with the exception of the costume designer, Holly Hines. And so we all get together and uh, we discuss the ideas and everybody goes away and comes back with what they think this ballet is about. Uh, and Helgi's actually, he's, he's very collaborative in a way where he's like, he allows us almost full autonomy and says, I'm going to give you this much, and now go away and show me what it is you think this is about. And then he'll say yay or nay, and in this case, he was like yay. He liked the vision and the idea that we were coming up with. And, um, and then we start to just put it together. Um, from a lighting perspective, you know, I watched the rehearsals. Uh, we videotaped the rehearsals. Um, the designer, um, Holly Hines, has provided costume sketches with color renderings. I take a look at those things. So it helps me decide what colors I'd like to use to help, um, you know, emphasize the costumes and, uh, and to help create the mood. So, you know, a lot of the creativity happens in my mind because I won't know if it's going to work until we get on stage. But of course, after years of experience, you, st you just have to trust your gut on certain things. And then... As we start to put it together on stage, um, you know, of course, we consult with Helgi and he gives his blessing or what it is he liked or what it is he didn't like. From the set perspective, you know, Alex built uh, a maquette. So at least Helgi has a visual representation of what the set's going to look like. From the costume perspective, he's got the renderings and he's very much involved in the whole creative process. We always check in with him to make sure before we build something or before we sew something that this is what he wanted, and then we move forward and continue to build. Whereas lighting is the last aspect, and it can, it's the one thing that can actually change almost instantaneously. Say that again. <laughs> Pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that's a, a, a bit of a, the look into uh, putting together uh, a ballet from a creative technical standpoint. So with all of the new work that is created on the company, Helgi is opening the company to some really new choreographic material. Think of Wayne McGregor's Borderlands, for example. So with choreographers really pushing new kinds of movement, how are designers responding in the work that they produce alongside it? Good question. Uh, you know, of course, you know, in art, it's all about pushing the envelope. and. Um, and designers are pushing the envelope. I mean, you know, uh, choreographers want to try new and interesting things. Designers want to try new and interesting materials and um, products and lighting equipment. Uh, and these are the tools that help them create what it is you guys see on stage. So, um, you know, I would say designers are definitely pushing the envelope. So they try to push that budget and Part of my responsibility is to kind of manage that the best way I can while still allowing for creative possibilities. So, you know, all these new works, it's all about taking a risk. So sometimes you, 
I don't want to say given, but you say, okay, well, let's see how this plays out. And sometimes you have a hit and sometimes you don't. But that's part of the, that's just part of what we do here. So uh, you want to give everybody an opportunity. And at San Francisco Ballet, because we create so much new work, you want to give everybody an opportunity to really explore. I mean, we have a wonderful theater, a huge stage. Uh, it's not, this is a very, um, it's a unique experience, it's a, it's a great experience, and uh, not everybody gets to work at this stage. And when I say stage, this level, this, at this scale is really what I want to say. So it's pretty special when somebody comes in here and they say, oh, I'm at the San Francisco Ballet, and it's like, and they really push the envelope differently as if they were working for a smaller uh, dance company. Do you see new materials, new lighting sources? coming into play. I know that with Borderlands, they used all LED lights. Is that kind of changing how people see the ballet on the stage? Is there anything kind of up and coming that we'll see more and more of? Yeah, I, well, I mean, technology is always changing. And in the case of Borderlands, we had a designer who wanted to try new technology and, and did, a, I believe, an excellent job of using the technology in a different way and, and exposing uh, our audiences and, and the dancers and just the whole creative process to using a different tool. It is something that is moving forward in our, in our world. And, and so as the products and the technology changes, uh, you start to uh, investigate them and start to see how it can be applied. Um, but, you know, sometimes the good old-fashioned way is still uh, rock solid and, uh, and really works well. So you have to find that balance. I mean, sometimes designers want to try something just because it's new. That's not an acceptable reason. We need to have some kind of conceptual idea that says, I really need this because this is the product that will achieve this for us, as opposed to just saying, hey, you know, I looked through the magazine. I thought this was kind of cool. I want to use it. Mm, no. So <laughs> that's kind of how it all goes. <laughs> so Great answer. So for those of you coming in, I'm in conversation with San Francisco Ballet's production director, Chris Dennis. So let's talk about tonight's performance of Cinderella. So it was a co-production with the Dutch National Ballet and it premiered here, or it premiered in San Francisco last May. So co-productions are new works whose production costs are shared between two companies. But Christopher Wielden kind of imagined something different with this co-production. He imagined a more collaborative relationship. He actually traveled back and forth between Amsterdam and San Francisco and choreographed it on both companies. He worked here in our studios and with dancers there in Amsterdam. So how did that collaboration translate into the production side, the creative? Creation well, of it. Uh, well uh, so Julian Crouch, who is the uh, set and costume designer, um, I went to Amsterdam for, for the production's initial uh, design presentation, and he presented it to both companies and Christopher and uh, Helgi and uh, the artistic director at the Dutch National, um, whose name I'm blanking Ted on. Branson. Ted Branson. And, um, and then after the presentation, uh, as I was a representative of the uh, production department of San Francisco, I met with the technical department of uh, the Dutch National, and we literally just started walking through the show uh, piece by piece, technically, and discussing uh, how certain elements could be built uh, and how certain elements would work. Now, they were the, 
they were in this co-production they were the lead producer so they actually built the show in Amsterdam so uh, it was a little challenging just because they were making certain decisions and, and building certain things and of course being over here all the way on the West Coast, there was no way to supervise and see all that. But my counterpart would definitely keep me in the loop and would call me and ask me certain questions or inform me if there was something that needed a decision uh, from myself so that it benefited both companies. Like we needed to find the compromise or uh, stuff like that because they too have a very big theater, uh, almost a little bigger than ours. So the parameters in this particular production was that it needed to tour. And both companies, even though they, their home is a very big theater, we don't necessarily always perform in theaters this size. And Helgi was extremely um, insistent that this production be able to tour to different venues across the country. And as, you know, as most of you know, we took it to New York City, which is a much, much smaller stage. So um, it was, partly my job and uh, Joshua, the technical director at Amsterdam, was to kind of continue to make sure that as the show was being designed and built that it would still be able to tour and to fit into the potential theaters that we think we're going to take it to. So that was probably the most challenging thing that um, I was faced with, just staying on top of uh, how the production was being built. And even after it was built, you know, I was there for its premiere and watched it all go together. Even when it came here, we still had to make some modifications. Uh, one, simply because, uh, you know, in Europe they use 220, here we use 120. So from, from an electrical standpoint, like all the beautiful chandeliers that are in the production, we had to purchase our own bulbs, which I believe there's about 700 of them. We had to change all the connectors on them. So the electricians had a, a, a big job to do. Uh, the carpenters had to refurbish some things. So there were still bits and pieces that needed to be addressed, but could only have been addressed once it got here. So, so Chris and his design team had a big imagination for this project. Huge imagination. <laughs> You'll soon see. So what are some of the technical components in this show that really make that magic come alive? Well, it's funny, and I don't want to give it all away. I'm sure some of you have seen this production and you're back for more, and then some of you, this might be your first time. But one of the most magical elements of this whole show is done with the least amount of technology. I mean the least amount of technology. And that's just to show you sometimes, you know, uh, the good old tricks of theater still will always continue to, um, you know, uh, stand the test of time and we had an amazing uh, puppeteer named Basil Twist who came here and lent his professional experience and used everyday stuff, let's say, <laughs> and, and created magic with it. But then on the flip side, you know, there, there wasn't anything major, there wasn't any major technology put into the show. It was just good design, you know, good design. <laughs> Okay, so we're running a little late on time, but because you know what goes on backstage so well, you know, this interview is from hour to curtain to half hour to curtain, what's happening back there right now? Well, they're probably all watching me on the monitor <laughs> right now. Uh, no. Uh, they are, it's, it's pretty quiet back there, but this show, you know, they're, they're starting to, let's see, they're definitely starting to uh, put together uh, 
at the top of the show. You know, they're starting to fly in scenery. They're starting to do their, their checks, you know, whether it be making sure all the props are in place, making sure the scenery's in the right spot, double checking uh, lighting color, focus. Like, so it's a number of different things because there's all the different people. Uh, makeup's being applied as we speak. Um, people getting into costumes. So, I mean, here we are sitting and a whole bunch of stuff is happening so that at 8 o'clock or 8.01 or, or whatever time we get this show started, <laughs> uh, everybody's ready to go. So there's a number of different things going on. And, and what's great, everybody knows what they're responsible for. And uh, it's all happening. So it's pretty exciting. Great. So we do have some time for questions. Uh, yes. I wanted to ask about the floor and the follow spots. How do they manage to change the floors between the acts? And where are the follow spot operators actually located <laughs> Uh, so uh, the question was uh, about the follow spots and the floor, where are the follow spots located and how do we change the floor so quickly. So the follow spots are actually located uh, up in the ceiling cove. So there's this beautiful chandelier and then right up there there's in the ceiling there's a, a slot and there's lights that are shining through the slot and in there we have our follow spot operators. They're up out here in the, yeah, they're out here. You can't see them, they're like up in the ceiling. And we also have follow spots that are located on stage on what we call a bridge. And they're directly above the dancers controlling the follow spot. So we have follow spots in two different locations. And the guys are up there. And at five to eight, they'll be called and they'll head up there and they'll be up there for uh, each act of the ballet. As for the floor changing, we have a, a prop crew of about six individuals that change the floor at the intermission. What's the floor made of? How can they change it? Well, it's, uh, so we have what's called a sprung floor, which is the, 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 um, the floor that helps give comfort and support to the dancers. And then what we put on top is a colored marley, is what it's called. And all they're changing is the colored marley. So it's like they're just switching the color of the floor. It's, so this is your last question. <laughs> It's made out of a wonderful rubber material, and it's uh, different colors. So, got it? <laughs> right on. All right. Next. Oh. Where is this Ooh, person? I think we're going to take questions on the floor here. Yeah. Yes, here in. What is a follow spot? Why we couldn't get in earlier? So. The question is, uh, what is a follow spot? And the other question is, well, why couldn't we get in any earlier? So let me answer this, the, the reason why you couldn't get in any earlier. In this particular production, we use uh, projection. And the projection comes from in the audience, which you can't see. It's in a projector. And before each performance, we have to be able to make sure the projector is working properly and that it's focused and that it's hitting its target on the different pieces of scenery. And that has to happen before the audience can come in. And the only way we can do that is to keep the curtain out, fly in the scenery, check the focus. So we were just double checking a number of things because we, you know, that's, you know, we want to make sure, maintain the, the integrity, make sure it's all good, make sure the bulb didn't blow, all those kinds of things. And that took just a little bit longer than we, than we liked. The follow spot is a lighting equipment that literally follows the performer on stage and it's operated by one of our fabulous electricians. Okay. <laughs> and they're all the way up there. All right. Back there in the black. 
to Bill, what's, so what's the budget for this show? Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. A lot. A lot of money. <laughs> and it's worth it. <laughs> and it's what? And it's worth it. <laughs> and it's worth it, yeah. It's, it's a lot of money. It's, it's, you know, I don't like to give too much information, <laughs> to be frank, but it's, it's a lot of money because a lot of money goes into a production like this because it has to be built to last a very long time. Okay, one more question here. Yeah. yeah. In your creative des uh, lighting designs, how do you uh, record it or perhaps reserve it so that the second production looks like the opening night? So the question is, in lighting design, how do you preserve the work that you do so that when you do it again, yes. uh, a second night, that it maintains, that it looks the same, ultimately? Is that the question? So. Um, in the world of technology, our lighting is controlled by uh, a computer. And so everything is programmed into the computer. And uh, so that's how we maintain all the work that we do. It's, it's programmed into a computer. And uh, each night, for each different ballet, um, we just call up that particular ballet from a lighting perspective. And it has a bunch of cues. And then the stage manager calls all the lighting cues, how it's written into the score. And we have uh, one of our electricians who's a board operator who has this big computer in front of them who literally uh, pushes a button that executes all the lighting to change on the go of the stage manager. And because it's all recorded and saved, we're able to reproduce it night after night after night after night. Does your computer ever glitch? The computer sometimes glitches, <laughs> definitely. It's technology and it's show business, so... You know, that's, that's the beauty of what you come and see. You see this live performance, and sometimes things happen, and we just kind of move through it, and, you know, it's unlike television or film where it's like, hey, let's take that over again. We don't have that luxury. So we have a bunch of special people back there who, who work extremely hard to make it happen the same every single night. All right. Well, on that note, thank you, Chris, and thank you to all of our listeners. Enjoy the show.